And it's my privilege to introduce Allison, who is one of our pastors here. Please welcome. Good morning, everyone. Um, as Charles mentioned, my name is Allison, and I'm the executive pastor here at the River. So we're currently in the season of Lent, the six weeks leading up to Easter. At the River, we call this time 40 Days of Faith. Last week, Charles introduced our 40 Days of Faith sermon series. And as he mentioned, this year, we're exploring how faith can help us navigate the anxieties of modern life. So whenever I'm experiencing a lot of worry and stress in my life, the same recurring dream makes an appearance. In this dream, I find myself back at school. It's the end of the semester, and for unknown reasons, I have not been attending math class for months. I don't know why, but it's always math class. Now, with just one day left in the semester, I somehow have to learn all of the material I missed, complete all the missing tests and assignments, and somehow pass the final. And I have to do all of this while enduring the palpable disappointment and judgment of my teacher and the others around me. Have any of you had a dream like this before? <laughs> yeah, my guess is that most, if not all of us, have. And that's because, you know, anxiety is a common feature of modern life, something that we all have to navigate. Now, it's important to note that sometimes anxiety is based on legitimate worries and is unavoidable. Sometimes anxiety is a positive force that keeps us safe. And sometimes anxiety is a medical condition that requires treatment. These are not the types of anxieties we're addressing in this sermon series. During 40 days, we're thinking together about certain kinds of anxiety, the kinds that are harmful to us and that can be helped by faith. In the New Testament, there is a Greek word that underscores the complexity of anxiety. This word, merinmau, shows up in today's passage from the book of Luke. What's interesting is that sometimes, like in today's passage, it's translated as being worried about or being anxious about and has a negative connotation. However, other times it's translated as being concerned about or caring for and the connotation is positive. So as the range of this word indicates, there are times when worrying is healthy and appropriate and there are times when it's harmful. This Greek word literally means to be drawn in opposite directions, like something being torn apart. To me, this seems like an accurate description of the experience of anxiety. It can feel like being torn apart from the inside out. So our hope with this series is to tap into ways that faith can help us to experience this feeling with less frequency and less intensity. Today, we're going to look at a well-known Bible passage about worry from the book of Luke. In this passage, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He began by saying, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Did you notice the phrase that Jesus started with? Therefore, I tell you. 
Whenever a passage starts with a phrase like, therefore I tell you, it's a signal to us that the teaching was a response to something that came before. This means that if we want to understand what Jesus was getting at, we need to look at what exactly he was responding to. So let's rewind a little bit. Immediately before today's passage, Jesus was speaking to a large crowd. A member of the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus responded by saying, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told the crowd a parable about a rich man that went like this. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Jesus urged the crowd to be on guard against all kinds of greed. He reminded them that life is about more than collecting possessions. And he illustrated this point by telling a provocative parable about a man who oriented his life around amassing wealth, only to die before he could enjoy it. It is from this teaching about greed that Jesus then moved into a discussion of anxiety. Isn't that interesting? We don't always think about how worry and greed can be connected, but they can. It is easy to imagine how insecurities around not being enough or not having enough could lead us to hoard without regard for others. When we don't believe that we are enough, we often feel the need to add to ourselves to feel worthy. This can look like the pursuit of status, accomplishments, or material possessions. Charles talked about this in his sermon last week. When we don't feel like we have enough, we may try to accumulate more and more until we feel safe and secure. The problem here is that it's often hard to define enough. Enough is a goalpost that can easily be moved. Of course, there are legitimate concerns around not having enough resources to survive. But many times, those who have incredible material wealth can feel poor, while those with meager resources feel rich. Through his work with clients, author and personal finance advisor Ramit Sethi has noticed that feelings about money are highly uncorrelated with how much you actually have in the bank. 
There are all kinds of other factors, our beliefs, our experiences, our culture, and our anxieties that shape our perceptions of and behaviors in pursuit of wealth. So Jesus shared a teaching about greed and then began talking about worry. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. When read with this context in mind, the last sentence of this verse really stands out. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. This is very similar to what Jesus told the crowd earlier in verse 15. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There is a common theme here. Life is more than, fill in the blank. There is more to life than material possessions. There is more to life than the pursuit of wealth, and so on. Too often, this verse has been wrongly interpreted to mean that we should not be concerned at all about securing our basic necessities or in planning for the future. Just have faith and it will all work out. That is ridiculous. Of course, we need to spend time thinking about what we will eat and what we will wear and where we will live and so on. But Jesus urged us not to let our pursuit of these good and necessary things blind us to all the richness that life, particularly a life connected to unconditional love, has to offer. There is more to life than we may realize. Jesus supported his claim that life is more than with a number of points. In two of them, Jesus urged us to turn to the natural world for inspiration. Jesus said, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And he said, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will God clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus said to consider the ravens and to consider the lilies. They do not have the ability to sow nor reap, to toil nor spin. Nevertheless, they survive and thrive. God cares about their well-being and supports them. So too does God care about us, even more so. This passage does not reveal details of how God's provision manifests in our daily lives. But it does reveal God's character and heart toward us. God is a faithful companion who is invested in our well-being. God wants the best for us, always. Considering nature, like 
the ravens or the lilies is one way to remind ourselves of God's immense care for the world and for each of us. This is an especially beneficial practice when it connects us to experiences of awe. There is growing research that awe and anxiety are inversely related. When our experiences of awe increase, our feelings of anxiety decrease. More awe leads to less worry. Awe can help us to calm our bodies, to quiet our minds, and put things into perspective. The natural world, with all of its grandeur and complexity, is one way to tap into awe. Appreciating natural beauty can also give us the space we need to critically examine the beauty standards that we've internalized. Jesus said, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these lilies. Is it possible that we too are naturally beautiful even without adornment? Jesus continued his argument about worry by saying, and which of you by worrying can add a cubit to your stature or a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? With this point, Jesus pointed out that there are limitations around how fruitful anxiety can be. No amount of worrying will guarantee that we grow taller or live longer. It is maddening and terrifying at times to realize how much is outside of our control. But there's also freedom in recognizing and accepting our limitations. There are things we can change and things we cannot change. In the words of the famous serenity prayer, the wisdom is in knowing the difference. Many philosophers and spiritual leaders throughout history have understood this truth. Here are just a few. Epictetus, a first century Greek philosopher said, make the best use of what is in your power and take the rest as it happens. Some things are up to us and some things are not up to us. Shantideva, an eighth century Indian Buddhist philosopher said, if there's a remedy when trouble strikes, what reason is there for dejection? And if there is no help for it, what use is there in being glum? Solomon ben Judah, an 11th century Jewish philosopher said, at the head of all understanding is realizing what is and what cannot be, and the consoling of what is not in our power to change. Friedrich Schiller, a 19th century German philosopher said, blessed is he who has learned to bear what he cannot change and to give up with dignity what he cannot save. How might our experiences of anxiety shift if we truly took these teachings to heart? Not just by understanding them intellectually, but by putting them into practice. Marsha Linehan, the creator of dialectical behavioral therapy, says that we have four options when facing any problem in our lives. One, we can solve the problem. Two, we can change our perception of the problem. Three, we can radically accept the situation 
or four, we can stay miserable. If we cannot solve the problem or change our perception, and if we don't want to stay miserable, then we'd be wise to move towards the second part of the serenity prayer, to accept the things we cannot change. Acceptance does not mean agreeing with or approving, but it does mean letting go of resistance and acknowledging what's real. Of course, this is easier said than done, but we can experience tremendous relief when we're able to do this. In verses 29 through 31, Jesus said, And do not keep seeking what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that seek all these things, and God knows that you need them. Instead, seek God's kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. In these verses, Jesus argued that faith can and should make a difference in how we live. The lives of those who practice unconditional love can and should look different than those who do not. In this case, the nations of the world. Of course, those who practice unconditional love also need to eat and drink and to survive. But Jesus was saying that a life of faith frees us up. We do not have to let the culture around us, with its emphasis on material wealth and possessions, dictate our ultimate concerns or the way that we approach life. Instead, we are empowered to live counterculturally, to live authentically according to our own values and temperaments. Jesus continued this argument in the final verses of the passage. He said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Rather than hoarding wealth like the rich man in the parable, Jesus encouraged his followers to live generously. He urged them to sell their possessions and give alms to those in need. There are a couple of interesting takeaways from this exhortation beyond the obvious call to live generously. First, it is unlikely that Jesus was directing this message to those who were struggling to get by. Such folks had legitimate worries about survival, and they were not the ones who would have been in a position to sell surplus possessions and give the money to the poor. No, they were the poor who would have received the alms. So if Jesus was not talking to the poor, then he must have been speaking to those with greater financial security. This is a clue that Jesus was not addressing all kinds of worry in this passage. Instead, Jesus was paying particular attention to that anxiety-greed connection I spoke about earlier. 
that tendency we have to allow anxieties about not being enough or not having enough to drive us away from generosity and communal concern. Another interesting takeaway is that this passage does not give us a magic formula for securing God's provision. Many have interpreted this passage as a guarantee that if we have enough faith, then God will provide. But that doesn't make sense in the context of this passage. If faith was all it took to ensure provision, then why would there still be poor people in need of alms? It would be quite a toxic conclusion to believe that anyone experiencing poverty did so because they lacked faith. So let's not apply that standard to ourselves either. Let's agree not to jump to the conclusion that hardship in our own lives or in the lives of others is connected to a lack of faith. The final verses of the passage are especially interesting to me. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We do not often talk about treasures in heaven in relation to anxiety, but the connection makes a lot of sense to me. A few months ago, I gave an entire sermon about Jesus' teaching on treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. Uh, it was called Freedom to Flourish, and if you're curious, you can find it on our YouTube channel. But in that sermon, I spoke about how two of the key distinctions Jesus drew between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven were their durability and longevity. Treasures on earth can decay and be stolen. They likely include things like wealth, physical belongings, as well as any of the precarious ends that we humans so often devote our lives to pursuing. Treasures in heaven, on the other hand, seem to be decay-proof and theft-proof. Unconditional love, empathy, compassion, integrity, authenticity, and self-worth are all likely examples of this kind of lasting treasure. In today's passage, it appears that Jesus was arguing that focusing on what we treasure can help us to navigate anxiety. It may be that the pursuit of earthly treasures is inherently more anxiety-inducing than the pursuit of heavenly treasures. This would make sense. Guarding and protecting treasures that can decay or be stolen sounds like it involves a lot of attention and stress. Enjoying treasures that can't decay or be stolen sounds far more peaceful. Ramit Sethi, the, Ramit Sethi, the financial advisor I men mentioned earlier, urges his clients to live their own rich lives. By that he means, Identify what is valuable to you and use your resources to pursue that kind of life. Do not just blindly adopt the ultimate values of our culture or of those around you. Jesus urges us to do the same. 
to be intentional about the treasures we are pursuing and why we are pursuing them. And Jesus invites us to allow our vision of the rich life to be shaped by the values of the kingdom of God, the most important being unconditional love. During this season of 40 Days of Faith, we not only want to think about how faith can help us navigate anxiety, but we also want to actually experience agape-based anxiety relief. So to help us with that, we have a number of resources available. Earlier, Charles mentioned the prayer for agape gathering that will take place after the service in two weeks. That will be a great opportunity to experience more of God's loving presence in your life. But if you came today needing prayer, you don't have to wait until March 10th. Uh, during the closing worship songs, the prayer team will be uh, available in the back of the room, and they'd be more than happy to pray for any requests that you might have. For those who weren't here last week, after the service today, we'll once again have stations where you can make prayer bracelets. There are instructions in your program for how to make the bracelets. Each bead represents a different prayer for yourself, others, and the world. We hope that wearing the bracelet will remind you often of your prayers for this season, as well as God's loving presence with you always. Additionally, we have a weekly devotional guide that you can access through the blog on our website or through the River app. Every Sunday, we will also have a limited number of printed copies available in the lobby for those who need them. They look like this, in case you're looking for them. This year, we are really fortunate to be using uh, material from our sister church, Reservoir. The theme of the guide is water of life, and it's really great. It includes short Bible readings, reflections, poetry, and visual art. And my favorite parts are the weekly spiritual practices like centering prayer, Emmanuel journaling, the examine, and engaging with music. All of these are wonderful tools to help us connect with God's abundant love and peace. So now I'd like to invite the worship team back up here. And as I do, I uh, will close with the serenity prayer. I hope that this famous prayer that I talked about today will stick with you as you think about navigating anxiety over the coming weeks. So God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen.